Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's Australian Open Round 3 catch-up. Novak Djokovic and Dominic Team come through five-set thrillers. Asaka, Halep and Muguruza through to set up some mouth-watering Round 4 match-ups. And fans are put back into a five-day lockdown as positive tests hit the state of Victoria. Kim, a whirlwind round three has come to a close. Some fantastic matches over the last couple of days, but perhaps the biggest, the biggest talking point has been the kind of the context really that these matches have been played in because we've gone from at the start of the tournament having, having fans in the, you know, the readers and, and welcoming spectators back in uh, Melbourne Park, but now entering the second week, we're not going to have any fans at all, at least for the next the next few days. Yeah, it was a bit weird, wasn't it? Last last night, seeing all the fans filing out of that Djokovic match and having to get home before the restrictions came back into place. It was a bit of a Cinderella moment. They had to be out before they, I don't know, turned into pumpkins or what <laughs> have you. <laughs> um, and it was just such a contrast, wasn't it? You had that that epic Kyrgios match, the crowd going wild. And then later on that very night, just an absolutely empty Rod Laver arena. And it's just sort of before and after. And I guess, you know, we're used to not having fans, but having just had them back in for a few days, it's, it's like, oh, okay, that was... That was good while it lasted, but here we go again, another lockdown. So we'll see if they'll come back because uh, I think it's a five-day shutdown, so they might come back at the latter stages. The Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, has said uh, it will be a short, sharp circuit breaker. So it remains to be seen. Hopefully, we'll have fans back for the latter stages of the competition. But yeah, it's an interesting dynamic now at play because I already think, actually, having no fans has had quite a big impact on some of the matches um, in in round three, which we'll get on to later, particularly, I think, the, the Fognini-Dumenor match. Um, but yeah, it's it's really kind of surreal. I always kind of like think about it in terms of, you know, Wimbledon, the uh, centre court has like an 11 p.m. Uh, curfew time and it was almost kind of like a it felt like a little bit of a race to race to the race to the finish and you were kind of hoping you know these matches were going to get finished in time before midnight and everyone was going to go home happy but it just wasn't the case because there was just so much drama going on particularly on that night you know it was just one of those really surreal moments where even if you think you've seen everything on a tennis court this was just a new situation that developed that it was just so it was just so startling yeah and i suppose some people would have thought well why sh- why would the fans even be there on that day knowing that a lockdown's coming into place because if you know that there are so many positive cases you know coming out of this hotel this quarantine hotel you know one of the workers has caught covid and spread it 
you know, to some of the contacts. It's like, oh, should should anyone have been there on that particular day if if they know if the, if there's already been a lockdown announced? But I mean, I guess it was kind of a last hurrah, and obviously it, it helped some players and and not uh, not others since since then. But yeah, it was weird because I had to you know suspend the Djokovic uh, t- uh, Fritz match to to get the crowd out, and just a weird a weird thing to see. But I suppose in the last year we should not be surprised that like these things are happening because it's just a case of you know, managing the situation. And fortunately, you know, the tournament itself isn't going to be impacted by this lockdown. I think that was what my first thought was when I heard about it was, it, hang on, you know, is the tennis still allowed to actually happen? Because that would certainly be, you know, that would be the, the biggest uh, thing that could, could, could go wrong. But yeah, we'll, um, I guess, pick, be picking that up a bit when we look at day five a bit later on. But should we just begin with perhaps what we've what we've had this morning? Uh, you know, great start to the weekend for me. Obviously, Rafa's just won, is into the fourth round again. Uh, you know, he was playing, you know, a Brit. And many people might think, well, you're British. Do you not support the Brits against Rafa? But sorry, no, I don't. I always support <laughs> Rafa. <laughs> Well, I was, Kim. I was. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, he came through seven five six two seven five. I have to say, Norrie did a lot better than I thought he was going to do. He was very, very good. Uh, I think he deserved a set, actually. He caused Nadal quite a few problems across the kind of the three sets. I think it was very similar to the sort of Dan Evans match in the first round. He's just like... He's just a bit of a nuisance, a bit of a pest. And he was a bit of a pest in the first round to Dan Evans. He was a bit of a pest to Nadal uh, in in uh, in round three. I mean, you know, Nadal obviously came through it in straight sets. He'll be happy, I think, to have got it done uh, and not having to, you know, exert any sort of extra effort in a, you know, in a fourth set, particularly with, you know, all the concerns, I think, around his back. Again, not really seeing much um, cause for concern on that front. But I think from a, from a British point of view, yeah, Cameron Norrie really was uh, on song uh, in, in this match. And, you know, I don't think we could have asked much more of him, to be honest. It wasn't the sort of two, three, three scoreline I was potentially maybe expecting. And I was, you know, pleasantly surprised to kind of wake up to see a real kind of fight uh, in that first set. I think he gave as good as he got in in that first set and then he kind of brought it back in, in the third set. But um, yeah, it was really encouraging to see. Yeah, I thought it was going to run away from him when it, you know, went to the third set. I thought, oh, this has probably got 6-2 written all over it again. So I was surprised that, you know, Cam stayed in there. And I think mentally, you know, apart from the really crucial games, you know, at five all in the first and third set, mentally, I thought he stayed in there and was, you know, obviously he, he didn't kind of capitulate like we see from some players, you know, of, of a similar ranking or perhaps. Um, and I thought it was just obviously when push came to shove, like Rafa stepped it up and, you know, for example, like that first set when, you know, Rafa really should have broken Cam in those uh, like early service games and he didn't. And then obviously Cam got, got a break on Rafa's serve and instantly, you know, Rafa breaks back to love to set the record straight. So I think, you know, as we saw when, when it kind of really mattered, obviously Nori was not going to really challenge Rafa, but yeah, I think he did a lot better than expected. I think it was his first match against any of the big three. So I'm sure that's a great thing, you know, ticked off his list. And if he's in that situation again, he's got a bit of experience now going going into it. I mean, I was kind of comparing it to, do you remember when, um, was it Dan Evans played Federer at Wimbledon once? Or am I thinking of the Marcus Willis match? Um, but they anyway, whoever it was, they got ab- obliterated basically by Federer on centre court. And it wasn't like that. So, you know, it was a, it was a lot better. I think... 
if there is one thing I think Nori it showed, I think that showed for me in that match, particularly with Cam Nori, is that I think in order to kind of improve his game and improve his ranking, I do think he's going to need to be able to be a bit more aggressive because as you said I think he he had opportunities and I think he he sensed he had those opportunities and wanted to be a bit more aggressive but it wasn't really it wasn't really coming off for him and I think you know I think in terms of his kind of development as a player and you know moving forward I think he's going to need to be able to on those uh, in those moments be able to you know, step the foot on the gas a little bit in terms of his shots. I think particularly with his 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 volley game, I think could be improved. Mm. And I think potentially his his double handed backhand as well. I felt like maybe he could add a little bit more speed to it. I just felt that I just feel like with that shot, it almost he gets it back in court. That's great. But when you play with someone like, you know, Nadal across the court, it's it's it felt quite comfortable for him. So I think if there is one thing, I think from a British point of view, in terms of kind of as a fan looking at his game, I just wonder whether there's a bit more he can do in terms of aggression. And I think with if he can add that sort of aggression and incorporate that into his game, I think that will bring him up, I think, to, you know, a, a potentially you know, him and Dan Evans sort of vying for that number one spot. Yeah, I think at the net, Cam just seemed a bit out of his depth. And I know he's been playing doubles quite frequently and, and he, you know, was, was he lost in the doubles in the first round here. But I think he just needs to go away and, and, and do a bit of, yeah, go to volley camp or something and, <laughs> and just like really, you know, get those sorted. But uh, to have a bit more of a complete ra- uh, complete game but I mean he did he did well he's a last standing Brit in the singles so I think you know generally it's been the best tournament that he could have hoped for having seen that draw you know on day one oh I've got Rafa in the third round <laughs> just got to make sure I get there um but tonight we also had Fognini versus Alex de Menor and the winner of that you know was due to play Rafa they kind of finished around the same sort of time and it was actually Fabio Fognini who came through this one in straight sets six four six three six four and a lot of people you know would have been thinking like Alex de Menor you know he's at home this is his home slam He's had good form kind of coming in, you know, it, surely he's he's the favoured player to, to get through this one. You know, he was part of our collector set and a lot of people had him potentially get into the quarterfinals perhaps. But yeah, Fognini in straight sets. Is that a surprise for you, Joel? Because I, I don't, I don't feel it was for me, but I mean, I think, I don't know. <laughs> I I thought it was a little bit of a surprise because the you know the the match that Fognini had in the last round against Caruso was you know five sets went really really deep in that fifth set. I thought that was going to mentally and physically exhaust Fognini uh, to a point that I, I you know I thought that he was going to maybe even lose this match in in straight sets, but. It, for me, it was a little bit of a surprise to see him come out um, with such a clean victory. All I would say is, you know, the fact that there was there has been no crowd there today and this was the first day. I think, you know, looking at all of those round three matches, I think this was the one match that if there was going to be, a, you know, a big impact on the result from it being a crowdless situation, I think it was this match because I think with a crowd behind him, Alex de Menor is a completely different proposition than, you know, to what I think we saw today in terms of him without a, you know, a passionate uh, home, you know, a hometown crowd behind him. 
Yeah, he seemed quite flat, didn't he? And I think, I mean, I'm not saying he relies on the crowd, but I think that certainly would have helped uh, helped him a lot more today. And, you know, we saw how engaged the, the audience was with the Kyrgios match or the, the Kokonakis match. So, you know, if he'd have had something like that, I think that would have been fantastic for him. But uh, Fognini was very focused, much calmer than, you know, all the aggro from the from the Caruso match and uh, obviously I think yeah he said it was actually a lot better for him without the crowd I think he knows that 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 helped him probably and I mean it's amazing really Fognini like he had ankle surgeries last year and he's he's coming through to the fourth round you know he's you know he's in his 30s he's I don't want to go on about ages but you know he's one of those kind of I, I always put him in the kind of Feliciano Lopez camp in the sense that I feel like he's been there since I became a fan of tennis. He's a bit of a stalwart of the game and he's still able to get to these positions in slams, which is great. Yeah, I mean, arguably, just thinking about the kind of the crowdless context that this match was in, as much as that kind of, I think, hindered de Minoy, I think it maybe even helped Fognini focus yeah. in the fact that, you know, there wasn't that Dis, you know, there wasn't that distraction because you can see, you know, Fognini is one of those players who's very, you know, like a Nick Kyrgios, he is very combustible. And if you have the the element there, particularly of a, a home crowd, you know, mixing with, uh, you know, a character like Fabio Fognini, that potentially could have put him off track. So I actually think having no crowd there probably uh, really helped Fognini focus on his game and get the job done. And it, it was a match where... You felt, you know, given the, his exertions in the, the match before, you felt it was a match that if he was going to win, it, it would have helped him to kind of do it in, in three sets because if it, the longer it was going to go, that probably was going to favour a de Menor. Yeah, I think uh, ADM will be disappointed that he didn't actually get a set I think straight sets is mm. is is this perhaps more surprising aspect of that defeat but I mean we've got Rafa against Fognini now in the fourth round and obviously Fognini is uh, <laughs> one player who has quite a lot of wins over Rafa and he has beaten him on a hardcore at a slam from two sets down which uh, as a Rafa fan is just a pretty awful memory I suppose in the fan box of memories but I mean I don't I don't know if that's going to happen again I, I hope Rafa will get the better of, better of him but I know you had tipped this one perhaps I think in our preview episode that it could could happen they could meet and it could be a bit of a you know interesting match but we'll have to wait and see for that one on uh, Monday but I mean, talking about getting annoyed, Joel Fognini. We didn't, we didn't see that today, but we we certainly saw enough of uh, of of on court and, and off court aggro from uh, from Plishkova and also Daniel Medvedev in the player tunnel aggro yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, let's start with Karolina Plishkova. She was up against fellow Czech and fellow Karolina uh, Karolina Mukova. They were actually quarantine practice partners, so they know each other very very well. I think Mukova is coached by Plishkova's ex-coach as well so you know they're they're very very um well known to each other but you know Plishkova went uh, a set down 7-5 took a bathroom break um but when she came back to the court she was given a point penalty for smashing her racket in the player tunnel and uh, obviously the official who had escorted her off had uh, I guess dobbed her in and uh yeah Plishkova was well I mean actually Plishkova it I guess it fired her up in, in the right way when she was given that penalty because she reeled off like five games in a row, went five love up in that second set. Uh, so that kind of anger and frustration that she'd unleashed from her system must have helped temporarily. Um, obviously, she served for the set twice. She had set points, but Mukova pegged her back to five all and then obviously broke and served it out. So 
I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, it's just not a great match. Very up and down from Bishkeva. Uh, an off-court racket smash. Uh, I mean, she's really kind of not in a good place right now, is she? No. Um, and, I, I, you, know, we, you know, her coach is Sasha, ba- Sasha Bajin, who uh, I think came on board, uh, you know, in the last six months or so. And I think he must be thinking... What, what have I got myself into? And it must be, I guess, incredibly frustrating at one point, you know, you're seeing your player kind of go up five love, obliterate the opposition, and then all of a sudden goes and loses the set seven five. And that I think will be deeply frustrating uh, to Pliskova and, and Bajin. And he's got a lot of, I think he's got a lot of work to do there, you know, particularly with a player who is so fragile at, at Grand Slams. And, you know, it's not just about, you know, I think Pliskova, it's not just about can you put seven matches together and become a Grand Slam champion? You know, that was a question we were asking of, of Pliskova over the, certainly I feel like the last few seasons, but now it almost feels like with, it, within her matches, it doesn't feel like she's able to kind of put a kind of consistent uh, performance together across, you know, two sets against really good, um, against the, the really top quality players like uh, Karolina Mukova. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a you know it's disappointing for her. I think she's you know she's not reached a, a Grand Slam quarterfinal for for quite a while now. I think, and it just comes Kim. It just comes to that point on you know this is a player who was who was at one point world number one, and no Grand Slams. Is she ever going to win a Grand Slam? Who you know who who knows? But it it doesn't it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen anytime soon, does it? She'll be in the Yelena Yankovic, Dinara mm. Safina kind of box, won't she? And unless she's going to do, I think I've said this before, but like a Caroline Wozniacki and win one like right at the latter end of her career. But I do feel, yeah, this new partnership with Sasha Bayan isn't really paying dividends right now. Um, and perhaps, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they part ways sooner rather than later. Wasn't a great performance. Obviously, she, mentally as well, she's not, uh, quite consistent either. And yeah, Mukova just kind of got under her skin and and she goes through. Uh, I mean, I've, I quite like Carolina Mukova. I've seen her play a few times and I've always been quite impressed. So I wouldn't say, you know, I don't think this is like necessarily an upset, but I just think, yeah, that, that racket smash off court, you know, you, you can't hide it. You can't, you know, think, I've, you know, you, you're able to do it, like taking it out of the loo or whatever. You're still <laughs> going to get caught. So no, no hiding. No prisoners. Uh, but we also had another player, Daniel Medvedev, who we know is a bit of a hot, fiery Russian. Uh, he was having a bit of a Barney with his um, his player box and his coach actually left the arena. Uh, I don't think he could take it anymore because <laughs> uh, Medvedev was taken to five sets today and he came through, but it was not an easy victory by any means. No, he, uh, and also I think particularly for Medvedev, I think that actually was his first ever five set victory. His, his five set record actually is, was not very good going into this match. I think he was 0-6 in five setters. You know, we can, we will remember the one against Nadal in, in the US Open final, but he doesn't, doesn't really have a strong record there. And he will be relieved, I think, to, to come through, particularly given he was kind of two sets up. I think this was more, Kranjevic, his opponent, raising his level, particularly in that fourth set. But Medvedev was able to get it done. Uh, six love final set was quite, yeah, quite, um, you know, I think it was like almost like once he got that break, once he got ahead, I think he was, he, he almost kind of restored calmness. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting because I don't think, I, I mean, I can't recall many times I've seen 
or any times really I've seen a player, you know, talk talk with their coach and um their coach just being like okay uh i'm i'm going off court i'm going to leave you to uh you know sort this out on your own i don't think that works that would work for every player but um i thought it was an interesting it was an inter- interesting exchange and and also kim i was quite surprised medvedev's french is pretty good well he's um spent a lot lot of time like training there hasn't he so i think he he is fluent in french i think he's mostly based there so uh yeah any 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 french listeners or french speakers were probably able to tell exactly what was going on with with that but um yeah he also went off court for a bit of a treatment for a left glute injury so i don't know if that was tactical or if he actually has an injury or what's going on there should we be worried about um, his fitness as well. There's quite a few injuries like flying around, it seems, with, with some of the top players. But I mean, what, what do you think now? We we both put him in our final, I think, on our predictions. Does this change your mind? The fact that he was getting so worked up, the fact that, you know, he was taken to five by Filip Krajnjevic, uh, that he might have a potential injury. I mean, would you still have him as your favourite for the final? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still do. I don't think, I think he's, you know, he, he's on a 16, 17, you know, match winning streak. I think he's still got very much, he's still very much in form. I think he was just frustrated today that Kranjevic was just able to raise his level. And I think that was what he was, he got most kind of, uh, agitated about. And I think he will need to be able to, I think, have a bit more of that fifth set approach where he was able to restore kind of calmness and control and you know I almost felt like the fact that his coach wasn't there again it just it took one less thing out of the equation and you know I guess similar to you know fans out of the Fognini equation in this sort of weird example the you know not having his coach there it it arguably helped him because you know he was able to come through and figure it out by himself so I'll be interested to see what the dynamic is going forward now between Medvedev and his coach in the player box maybe the coach won't just be there from from the start um but uh yeah I don't I just I think maybe there was a momentary blip in that yeah third and fourth set but I I still think Medvedev is is a pretty is a pretty good bet at least for a semi-final berth and yeah maybe a final as well I mean we all go walkabout at the best of times don't we you know (laughs) in our working day some days I just can't focus and I just sort of think I just I'm not I'm not there uh but another um another player who potentially has injury concerns is also Matteo Berrettini who he came through today against Karen Hatchinov in straight sets three tie breaks but um he seemed to have a an injury concern later, late in that third set. It's very similar, actually, to Novak, uh, which we'll get onto a bit later. It seemed like a similar place. And, you know, I bet he was thinking, oh, I just need to get through this, this third set and not let this match go on because if, you know, he's got quite a, a painful uh, injury or he's just going to want to, you know, finish the match and get some treatment. But he came through and he's got, you know, a day or so off uh, to recover before Sitsipas in the next round. So, I mean, that that match, Hatchinov-Berrettini, that always has, I think, the potential to go five sets. And I think mm. Hatchinov will be quite disappointed that he didn't manage to get one of those tie breaks. Both those players, I think, went into the Australian Open having pretty, both in very similar situations in terms of having pretty indifferent 
seasons before in in 2020 and you know just looking actually at their kind of game styles i always think they're very very similar in the way that they play Mm. and i think that almost was reflected in the scoreline being so close to the fact that you know nothing was really separating them and the only thing that was separating them were three tie breaks i think Kachinov will obviously be disappointed he wasn't even able to snag one of them particularly in the the second and and third when they were so close in the the scoreline but you know, Berrettini again is in a good run of form. We saw that in the, the ATP Cup. It's great for Italian tennis at the moment. I mean, yes, Yannick, Yannick Sinner lost in the first round, but Berrettini and Fognini through to the, the second week. It's really, it's really impressive stuff from the Italians at the moment. No, indeed. And actually, I forgot that Yannick Sinner was Italian. <laughs> I think it's because he's obviously, he doesn't seem like your typical Italian, does he? Because no. he's from like the German speaking area. But anyway, he is. So yeah, Italian tennis is booming. Uh, but just a note on Sitsipas, he had a very, very boring match. 6-4, uh, 6-1, 6-1 against Mikhail Imer, who I think was his quarantine practice partner. So there's a lot of quarantine matchups going on here. Um, really excitingly though, Joel, Mackenzie McDonald is into the fourth round. Uh, this is a player we've not even talked about. Uh, he's been out for a while with a really bad back injury. So kind of, I'd forgotten about him, to be honest. But he's always a player that I've enjoyed watching and he came through against Lloyd Harris in straight sets so yeah it's fantastic to see him back up there because I remember when we were there a few years ago we saw him play Grigor Dimitrov in the second round and that was that was such an entertaining match when we saw him I know that was so much fun wasn't it that was mm. uh you know he, that was really when he kind of announced himself and he 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 does have a he does play quite well in 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 Australia I know he's had a few injury troubles over the last few seasons but he's been able to really put it together this tournament and he took out Chorich in round two, I think. And yeah, he just is playing really well at the moment. Uh, who would have thought last, last American man in the, in the main draw, Mackenzie McDonald, uh, flying the flag for, for the USA. But yeah, he is, um, yeah, he, he looks, he looks really good. I'm really, I'm really pleased for him. Um, a little stat for you, Kim. He's the lowest ranked player in the Australian Open round of 16 since Guillermo Canyas back in 2004. So he's I'm making the most of his protected ranking. And he's, yeah, as I say, he's putting that to really good use and, and getting some much needed, I guess, prize money and, and ranking points. And doing it for anyone called Mackenzie, whether that's your first <laughs> name or your surname as well. Yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. Really, really good. Uh, very pleased for him just on his opponent Lloyd Harris uh he's South African actually he is going to become the number one South African uh in the next ATP rankings usurping Kevin Anderson and I wonder if that's uh, a sort of moment in terms of looking at the past now looking at the future because mm. I think Lloyd Harris is a very decent player and uh is very a, a very good prospect and I think he will be disappointed in the in the manner of the defeat because both those players would have would have looked at that matchup being like, this is a really big chance for me to get to the the second week of a Grand Slam. But I think Lloyd Harris has a very bright future as well. And I'll be interested to see how he does over this season. Absolutely. Let's move on to the women's side of events because we didn't have very interesting matches, I would say, today on the, on the women's side. A lot of them were straight sets. But I guess the most... Um, 
compelling scoreline was was Donna Vekic against Kaya Kanepi. Um, we'd spoken a lot about Kanepi. Uh, you know, she's taken out Sophia Kenin, the defending champion. She's got a quite a good record at slams against top players. And I guess the question when someone has a big win over a top seed is, you know, can they back it up in the next round? And well, it looked like Kaya Kanepi was going to. She uh, she had match points uh, in the second set. Uh, but she couldn't convert and Donna Vekic came back to win uh, in three. So it's five, seven, seven, six, six, four to Vekic, who is into the fourth round of the Australian Open for the first time. So, I mean, Vekic is always one of those players that I think loves a three set tussle. She, she will never give up. Uh, I love the fight in her and we've seen that quite a lot. Uh, especially her matches with Conta at, at Wimbledon and, and on the grass. But yeah, this was uh, interesting because it's, I think Kanepi will be ruining a uh, missed opportunity with this one. And just talking about Donna Vekic, I feel like she, she's a player who, you know, I was, as a British fan, I always remember that match she had against Conta in, in Wimbledon a few years ago because that was such a fantastic match. But I don't really feel I've heard a lot about her, um, you know, since then. I think I was maybe expecting a little bit more from her in terms of, uh, you know, her performance, particularly at a Grand Slam level. I think she's had, you know, one quarterfinal appearance. I think that was back in 2019. But now she's now reached the second week of all the Grand Slams. And you can see in her, you can see in her on-court interview that that was a real milestone for her and a real um, achievement because she was almost, you know, fighting back the tears on on the on the court so you can see it meant a lot to her and you know even I think we've got to remember even reaching the second week of a grand slab is is really impressive you know for some players it's not all about oh can I you know win the trophy there are you know different sorts of milestones and you know Donna Vekic is you know she's really happy that she was able to come through a really tough opponent like Kinepi and make the second week. Absolutely. And going into that, I would have, I would have picked Kanepi to win. And obviously it looked <laughs> for a long time like she was going to do so. But, um, yeah, I, I'm pleased for Vekic. I've always quite warmed to her. So, um, yeah, and that's a nice one there. And, and as, as we said just a moment ago, a lot of the matches today were quite kind of straight sets. So Jennifer Brady came through comfortably against Kaya Yuvan. Jessica Pagula, she's continuing her, her really good, uh, run of form. She hasn't dropped a set yet and she's into, uh, the second week for the first time in her career at a major. So that's great. And also two Americans there, Brady and Pagula. And then Elise Mertens. Um, now, this was a match I thought might be a bit closer. She was up against Belinda Bencic, who we know on her day is, you know, very formidable opponent can beat anyone but Mertens thrashed her 6-2, 6-1 and Mertens obviously has been in really good form, won one of, one, one of the pre-AO tournaments and obviously that hasn't affected her at all she hasn't had a slump yet she's she's been in really good form so far and obviously that's continuing so uh, very nice performance from Elise Mertens today and then we had obviously the top seed Ash Barty uh, out on Margaret Court Arena not not Rod Laver which was a bit of a weird scheduling I thought but I suppose there's no crowds it doesn't really matter um, she had a straight sets win over Alexandrova who we saw was in also very good form in the run-up to the AO. So I think Barty did really well to kind of combat uh, the, any threat from from Alexandrova in, in that particular match. I think this top half in general, all these players will be looking at, at it you know, even the the I you know the strapping on on Barty's leg. I think every all these players will be looking at this is an opportunity here for me to potentially make a Grand Slam semi final or even final because even though the the bottom half of the women's draw is completely loaded, the top half feels quite you know wide open. Yes, you've got Ash Barty. Yes, you've got Elena Svitolina. But you know, apart from that, there's not really there's not really any 
big danger danger players there they've all kind of gone out and you've got you know all the kind of the seeds there are all in your sort of 15 to, to 25 bracket a few unseeded players in in Pagula and Rogers as well it'll be a really I think it'll be a real fight between you know in in that sort of in the in the next round in terms of who comes through and I even though I think this round was a bit bit processional I think in round four we're going to see a lot more three set matches because these these matchups like Vekic, Brady, Mertens, Mukova, Pegula, Svitolina even, I think they're very much 50-50, 50-50 battles. Yeah, definitely. And uh, even Ash Barty against Shelby Rogers, who who came through against the net contivate 6-4-6-3. That will be interesting because they played last week at the Yarra Valley Open and that went to a match tie break. So, you know, potential uh, upset on the cards there. I don't know. Um, interestingly, Ash Barty in her post-match um, interview on court was asked about, you know, the lack of crowd. But I think actually she did really well without the crowd. I don't I don't think she relies on it, even though she is at her home slam. And she said she quite likes the sound of not having a crowd because she can, you know, hear the ball and actually hear, you know, that lovely sound the ball uh, makes when it hits the racket. So I thought that was quite um, interesting. But and uh, we saw the strapping on her leg again. But again, she said that it wasn't you know, bothering her at all. So uh, I've still got, I'm still on for a Barty Brady semi-final, which is my prediction. So we shall see. <laughs> the Americans doing really well, aren't they? In, particularly yeah. in that, that top half, three Americans, Brady, Pegula, Rogers. Are you, are you sensing Brady is the one that is going to go the furthest of, of those three? Well, based on her performance at the US Open last year, she's got, you know, recent experience and recent good form. Uh, I wouldn't put it past either Pegula or Rogers being the, the latest, uh, the last American, but, I think Brady will come through against Vekic. Mm. I think she's more mentally consistent as well. As much as Vekic loves a fight, I think Brady will have that one. So we'll we'll see. But both, you know, very intriguing fourth rounds on both sides of the draw in the women's for, for I guess, slightly different reasons. Let's just quickly touch on British action today as well, Joel. Obviously, we had Cam Norrie losing in the singles, but we did have some wins in the doubles for Joe Salisbury and his partner, Raji Fram. They're into the third round. They had a, they did drop a set, but they are into the third round. Uh, got Piers and Venus next. Um, Jamie Murray and uh, Bruno Suarez also come through, um, but we did have the Skupskis being knocked out and Luke Bambridge and Dom Inglot are also out. Uh, and Jamie Murray with Bethany Maddox-Sands. That's always a good combination, isn't it? They are through their first round match as well in the mixed. Uh, let's just take a quick break now, uh, but do join us in the second half where we will be looking back on all the results from day five at the Australian Open. So do not go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to look back to day five at the Australian Open. So third round action from Friday. And I think, I feel like Friday was the more exciting of the days in this particular round of the event because we had some five set thrillers in the night session. And I mean, they were both fascinating for slightly different reasons. I think we should probably kick off with Dominic team against Nick Kyrgios. And, and this was kind of, the last match, I guess, that we saw a really, really like into it crowd. Obviously, I think anyone who could get onto the John Kane Arena was there. It was, I guess, the fullest crowd we've we've seen, and, and rightly so. A home favourite up against the third seed, and you know, at one point, Kyrgios two sets up. It looked like he might be on for an upset, uh, but like we've seen before. 
curiosity sets up uh he was not able to walk about to he went walk about didn't complete he? yeah and he lost in five sets uh to team he clinched it six four in the third in the, in the third set in the fifth set <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean dominic team really i think showed in that match all his kind of grand slam credentials and shows how far i think he has improved as a player coming back from from two sets down Similar sort of similar scoreline, really coming back from two sets down to you know his U.S. Open triumph against Sasha Zverev last season. It was just, I mean, this match I feel like it just had everything. Nick Kyrgios, you know, we know he's an entertainer. I think this also was the the, the fact that everyone knew that there was a lockdown sort of looming and this was going to be the last match on this court before there were going to be no fans take place. It was a real, I think, fitting occasion and. It was just, it was just fantastic to watch, and the fact that you know Nick Kyrgios started so well and you know won those first two sets, you know we we saw, you know we saw his undoubted potential and his ability, but I feel like in the the, the latter three sets we also saw kind of what is holding him back, and you know a lot of you know a lot of uh, you know journalists and you know tennis media talking about particularly the Nick Kyrgios shot selection Kim I mean it is it, sometimes it's brilliant and sometimes it's just nonsensical and you felt really in this match that his his shot selection was the thing that kind of did him in in the you know in the kind of the latter stages particularly I think in in the you know the latter in the deeper end of that fourth set you know going for tweeners at going for tweeners at the net, which didn't really make sense. Um, you know, underarm serves. Yes, they look great when they come off on set point, but when they don't, again, you look a bit silly. And I know we kind of have spoken about this, uh, I think, a lot with with Nick Kyrgios matches, but I think it does show that when you kind of come up against the really top players in the world, yes, you can do that. Yes, it entertains the fans. But at the end of the day, is it going to win you the match? Probably not. Yeah, it would have been interesting if he'd have bothered doing all of that antics, you know, if there was no crowd, if it had been the day after when, when the crowds had been sent home. I think, yeah, it's it's nice to have all the bells and whistles, but when it push comes to shove, you know, they, there's a right place and a right time for that. And yeah, I think it's just classic Kyrgios, isn't it? <laughs> and I thought Dominic team handled it all very well. He was very calm, very unemotional throughout. And, you know, I think it's interesting afterwards, he said, you know, he was dealing with the loss already before, you know, finding his way back in. So he'd obviously like mentally prepared himself for for a curious upset. And I mean, I guess cr- crucially, I, for me, it just came down to that start of that third set. You know, Kyrgios had break points in the opening game, wasn't able to convert and then obviously immediately got broken. And that was kind of, I guess, you know, the real turning point as it often so, so, you know, so often is at that point. <laughs> Uh, I know, I know everyone is sick of, of best of three, best of versus best of five set debates at, at Grand Slams. But I genuinely think that if Grand Slams were best of three set for the men, I think Nick Kyrgios would be one of the, the biggest beneficiaries because I just feel like in a best of five set situation, there's always going to be some moment when he's going to go uh, walk about and open the door for his competitor. And if you condense that format into three sets i think you know he has a much better chance because he's just not got enough time to you know to to go on a walkabout to to let someone like dominic team come back into the match but i think just you know at grand slams the, the fact that you know he's able to put it together for two sets is great but you're gonna have to win three sets and he's always he always you always just sense he's going to give you a chance 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, we saw this with Rafa against Kyrgios last year in the fourth round. And it, it was sort of the same scenario again, really. And it's just, uh, I mean, that didn't go to five sets, obviously, but it's just kind of keep calm, carry on, do your thing and, and wait for Kyrgios to kind of go off the handle a bit. So yeah, it's kind of the same old, same old. Um, not to say that Nick, you know, wouldn't potentially uh, put a run together. You know, he has been to quarters at slams before, but yeah, I mean, if you know what you're getting with Kyrgios, let's just put it, you know, put it, say it like that. And if you like that, that's that's great. <laughs> I think he needs to, obviously, what will help him will, you know, he came into this unseeded. Mm. He needs to get a seeding. So he's, I think, protected from these players earlier on. Because I think once he gets into the, you know, the second week, I think he, you know, I think there's a different, maybe there's a different mindset there. He gets a bit more serious. Um, but I think, you know, with these earlier round sort of matchups, I think maybe he play, likes to play a bit more of the, the entertainer role. So I do wonder if there's a bit of a, a, you know, a mindset change if in, you know, if in week one or if in week two. And if he can kind of bring himself back up the rankings, get into a seeded position, you know, top, top 20 top 16 whatever um i think that will help him in terms of getting to the second week and laying a platform to have a bit more i think of a, a serious mindset when it comes when he would then come up against the the top the top players in the draw so from one five set match to another we also had Novak Djokovic, defending champion and world number 1 up against Taylor Fritz uh, you know young american player and uh, i mean on paper Yes, Fritz is a big server, but, you know, this should have been quite a comfortable victory for Djokovic. And it seemed to be going that way when he was two sets up. But uh, he seemed to encounter an injury, uh, an injury to his side, like his his abdomen, which was really, you know, bothering him in that third and fourth set, especially. And obviously it went went to a fifth set in the end. And I think a lot of people were kind of wondering if, if Fritz was actually going to pull off pull off a very unexpected victory, but Novak managed to come through, which, you know, we've seen this from him before in matches where he's looked almost down and out, very despondent in on the court, but he's managed to, to just get over the finish line. And I think Fritz will be quite upset that he wasn't able to capitalise on, on an injured opponent more than he did because, it you know, it was 6-2 in that fifth set, which, you know, you, you would have thought it would have been a bit closer, especially at the end. Yeah, it was it was a bit surprising. I mean, Djokovic said in his on-court interview afterwards that he felt a tear, which doesn't sound too too good uh, even to get out on court for his, his round four match against Raonic. But as you said, in the moment, Fritz, I feel like, will be disappointed that he was not able to, well, to, to win and, you know, do what Fabio Fognini did to... Rafael Nadal at the US Open uh, to to Novak Djokovic and win from from two sets down. It wasn't to be, and I think you know, a big reason for that is he was able to kind of work the situation and, and make the opportunity. But once that opportunity arrived in that fifth set, it didn't really feel like he had a game plan. And I don't know if he, you know, it, it didn't it didn't feel like he knew what he wanted to do, and, and maybe that's down to lack of experience um, and, you know, these these situations. But it just felt like even though he had played really good tennis, particularly in that third and fourth set, when it got to that fifth set, he just didn't know, he just didn't know what to do with it. 
No, exactly. And it was, um, it's always very hard when you're playing an injured opponent and there's, you know, that there's going to be a lot of attention on you. And it, it was the last, obviously, remaining match happening. They'd had that suspension with the crowd being filed out. And I think, yeah, he just wasn't able to seize that initiative. And, you know, Djokovic was doing what he could. Um, he, he did loosen up, I thought. I think whatever treatment or medication he'd, he'd taken, I think it did help, um, him get through that, that end bit because he did seem to, start playing a lot better obviously in that fifth set but yeah it remains to be seen if we're going to get a fourth round match I think I, I mean I feel like that he will step out on that court I feel like he's going to beat Ryanich I think we've seen this before from Djokovic with injuries and he seemed to be down and out and on his last legs and then he's been perfectly fine but I don't know I don't know what's going on in camp Djokovic I, th- I know he didn't practice today and he's had a scan but I, I don't know I'm not sure I'm not as confident. I mean, you just got to go back. I mean, to that match. I think what, what the best thing about that match was, you know, right at the end, no, cr- no crowd, and that roar he oh, gave was gosh. so loud yes. that you could tell that he had come through a battle. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he he acknowledged the, you know, the the fight that the kind of Fritz gave him and said that was one of his, you know, most special victories in his career, which is pretty high praise i think um and i think that 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 raw said it all in terms of the you know the you know the, the fight that he had to he had to put in and i think we you know we we see it with novak djokovic i think you know we've said before you know kind of going to grand slams that the only person that can beat Novak Djokovic and Novak Djokovic himself. And, you know, we saw that in the, you know, the U S open last year, I think with his, his temperament, obviously. And it might be a question here is, are we seeing that this time round? but in terms of his body and it, it remains to be seen, but I, I just don't, I know there are some people who are kind of a bit skeptical on this sort of injury and, and what, you know, is he faking it? And I, I just don't really buy that. I don't really understand why you would kind of do that from, two sets up but I will be interesting it will be interesting to see how or if he comes out against Raonic because he will need to be he will need to be fully fit in order to kind of to handle that I know he has a really good record against the Canadian but you know with those kind of serves firing at you um, you're gonna yeah you're gonna need to be on your game in order to to dispatch that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he was faking the injury. He wouldn't make up or invent an injury, but I don't know if he was exaggerating. I, I don't know. I suppose in his post-match interview, he doesn't know. He has to have a scan. He, he won't know until he's got that medical assessment. But uh, yeah, it certainly throws a spanner into the works. I mean, if he is quite seriously injured, uh, obviously Dominic Team becomes the favourite to reach the final from that top half. And I think, you know, having come through Kyrgios and looking, you know, very solid in doing so, uh, it certainly makes it a bit more interesting. Let's just say that much. Uh, let's move on to the women's side of events for uh, the third round from day five, because again, I think fairly straightforward results. You know, we had like Muguruza thrashing her opponent. Serena came through in straights, Halep in straights, Sviontek in straights, Osaka in straights, uh, knocking out on Zibor, who is, you know, out of our collector set, but I, most people got her correct <laughs> in reaching the third round. Uh, Sabalenka, Von Drusova, they all came through pretty comfortably. The only one, I guess, that had a, a, a third set was Suwe Shea against Sara Irani. That was 7-5 in the third. So uh, that, that was the match that caught my eye. I'm really pleased that Shea came through that one. You know, like we said before, 
we all need a bit of Sue Weishe in our lives. And <laughs> she's got Von for next. She could win that. She could make the quarterfinals. That's so doable. The gift that keeps on giving Sue Weishe yeah. in a Grand mm-hmm. Slam. Uh, yeah, love. I mean, we're we're all here for it. Um, yeah, really, really impressive for her. But yeah, it was it was I think a little bit surprising that that was the only match that went three sets. And again, it felt largely processional. But in in a weird sort of way, Kim, I'm almost kind of glad it did because the some of the matchups we're going to get in round four in this stacked bottom half we're at they have they have come to fruition and you know this was the last obviously hurdle for a lot of the you know those those major players and the fact that they all came through none of them with any sort of serious tests i'm just now we can i just feel like we can now just kind of lick our lips at some of the the matches that we've got in store for round four Absolutely. I mean, it's just, I mean, these are Grand Slam finals, you know, Muguruza versus Osaka, yep. Shviontek versus Halep and Sabalenka versus Serena Williams. I mean, that is just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, no offence to Shea and Von Drusova, it doesn't quite uh, match that, but you know, Von Drusova is a slam finalist, so we, we shouldn't forget that. But yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know which match I'm most looking forward to or intrigued by. I think, I mean, Shviontek Halep, is there going to be a repeat of the French Open? Uh, Muguruza Osaka, I think Muguruza is probably going to be obviously Osaka's toughest test so far, just based on her form, um, come, you know, throughout their tournament so far. They've been slaughtering opponents. Can you say the same thing about Muguruza? I feel like both, yeah. both of those players have been obliterating their draws, uh, at the Australian Open so far, really dominating, uh, you know, two set wins, left, right and center. So that feels like a really pivotal match in the, the fourth round in terms of who, who is coming out of that, you know, part of the draw. And just on Sviontek, actually, in her conference, uh, in her match conference after, uh, her win, uh, after her win against uh, Fiona Ferro, she said that she tries not to think like she's a Grand Slam champion. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, point of view because we saw with Kenin, I think she was, you know, I think going into, I think going into, you know, the women's draw uh, 2021 Australian Open, I think she was thinking about, you know, the fact that she's coming in as a, a March player, as the defending champ. And I think maybe she could take a bit more of a, um, she could take a bit more of a uh, insight from Sviontek in terms of how she kind of goes on court and, and doesn't let that sort of that, uh, as I said, that label or um, that, that label kind of affect her, her game on court. Yeah, it's almost like Sophia Kennan was thinking, ah, I'm a Grand Slam champion. I'm expected to do things. And yep. Sviontek's like, I'm just me, you know, I'm a young yeah, tennis exactly. player. I just can do what I, what, you know, I just do my best. Listen to um, some heavy metal music and exactly. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. But will lightning strike twice? You know, can she do it two slams in a row against Simona Hallett? Australian Open Hardcourt, that is completely different to the, obviously the Roland Garros clay court. And I do, although I know Halep is a very good player on a clay court, I do think hard is her best surface. So I think it's going to be a completely different Simona Hallett we're going to see against Fiontek. And Sabalenka, Serena, just a last word on that. You know, Sabalenka's had a great run of form. Serena, obviously, completely different kettle of fish. I feel, I don't think they've played before, have they? I think this is their their first meeting. But I mean, Sabalenka at a slam, it's, she doesn't have a great record. So, I mean, I'm going to go with Serena on this one. Um, I'd have to also go with Osaka. I'm, I'm, but Shviontek Halep, I'm very much undecided on still. (laughs) 
Sabalenka, Serena Williams. I don't think that's as a foregone conclusion to Serena Williams uh, because, yeah, I mean, Serena Williams matching against Potapova in in round three. That first set was pretty felt was pretty sluggish from her at times. She came through on a tie break seven five and felt like Potapova was one of those opponents that maybe Serena could have just got that job done in you know fifty minutes under an hour and just kind of gone through. So I think Sabalenka will obviously give her a much sterner test. And it will be, I'm, I'm curious to see how she kind of faces up against, you know, some of the best players now in, in, in the game. And, you know, if she gets taken to three sets, how's she, how's that going to, uh, you know, impact her? Has she got the fitness to kind of keep up with, you know, all of these kind of younger players? I know we, I, Again, Kim, I hate, I hate the fact we're talking about age, but at some point, you know, age obviously is going to catch up to some of these players. Just ask, you know, you just got to ask Novak Djokovic, who's, you know, one of the fittest players on tour, but he has suffered a, a tear in his body. But I just think that that is going to be a real battle. And I think Serena Williams is going to need to, need to be at her fittest uh, on court. And I, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if she's like 100% there at the moment. Yeah, I think, uh, is that the first match on? Because I think I'm going to try and stay up for that one. Um, or is it? No, I think it's Muguruza Osaka. So that one I'm going to be, it'll be the moment of truth when we wake up and look at our <laughs> live scores up. <laughs> and then we'll be like, what's happening? Like, oh my God. Um, anyway, let's move on and talk about just a couple of like notable results on the men's side. For me, uh, Aslan Karatsev, qualifier, uh, Russian player, Straight sets victory over Schwartzman. Uh, I, I didn't really know anything about him until I saw him in the ATP Cup uh, playing in the doubles. And I was like, oh, who's this guy making up the numbers? Uh, which is probably very harsh of me because now he's into the fourth round of the AO. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a straight sets over Schwartzman, the eighth seed. That was um, an unexpected victory. And yeah, well done to Aslan Karatsev. I think he he plies his trade on the on the challenger tour, but I think he's he was almost like a a sleeping giant of the challenger tour. I think he's had a very good uh, he's had a very good t- time of it uh, at that level, kind of in the build up to the Australian Open. I think also what has helped him, you know, with the ATP Cup and probably one of the advantages I think for players like him who were playing kind of third or fourth fiddle to. Rublev and Medvedev, just being around those players, being around the, you know, two of the most informed players on the tour, I think that just helps his game naturally. And, you know, being the, I guess, the, the hitting partner or the practice partner, uh, you know, doubles, etc. Um, I think that has helped him really kind of coming into this. And although, yeah, it was very surprising to see Schwartzman go out in three sets. I understand Kretsev in the highlights. He just has has quite a big game, hits a very heavy ground stroke on the, on the baseline. And yeah, it was, it was just very impressive. He's not, Kim, he's not dropped a set yet. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, and he's a qualifier. I mean, that, that feels very, that feels very, very, um, very, very special. I don't, I can't think of many times that has happened. A qualifier has got to the second week and not dropped a set in the process. That might even be the first time. I'm not sure. And I think he's got potential to reach the course finals because he's got Felix Oje Aliasim next, who came through over fellow Canadian Denis Shapovalov in straight sets, which was somewhat surprising, actually. I, I was expecting that to be a bit, you know, a potentially a fourth or, or, or five set match there. But um, I mean, FAA obviously in, in good form, you know, making it through to the second week. But I wouldn't be surprised if he comes unstuck against Karatsev. So I think there's a real opportunity for both of those players to obviously 
get through to their kind of, you know, obviously deepest uh, Grand Slam. And uh, yeah, what did you make of the Shapovalov FAA match? Because um, I think they've got a ridiculous statistic, like whoever wins the opening set will Mm, always goes on to win the match. Obviously continued because Felix took that first set 7-5. And yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he reached that final against Dan Evans. So playing, uh, you know, the, the day before this tournament started hasn't done him any any problems he's he's going strong no and and yeah he, he he's not it's not i think what's been most impressive is he's not let that um you know the monkey on the back situation of of seven finals mm. and seven defeats get eat at him too much he's just going about his business and i think that's really been really impressive and uh, you a know, shapovalov and ojali seem they must know each other's games inside out but i was yeah again surprised to see that to be a, a three set straightforward victory seven five seven five six three i thought that could have easily gone five sets but um yeah i mean canada like italy uh, doing very well at the moment in the particularly in the in the men's game with Raonic as well facing well probably facing Novak Djokovic in in round four so we shall see just quickly Kim back on Karatsev I've got a good stat for you and for our listeners as well he's just the fifth qualifier in 21 years to reach the fourth round of a Grand Slam now I was trying to desperately find who those other four players are Listeners, let us know if you, if you think you know who they are. Let us know. I think one of them is David Goffin at the French Open. Uh, I just remember that when he, I think, faced Roger Federer in, in the fourth round. But uh, let let us know because that, that is like, as I said, seriously impressive. Seriously, seriously impressive as well. That the fact that he did that all in straight sets isn't one of them from last year at the French Open. Uh, was Seb Corder a qualifier? Didn't Ooh, he, he? It was maybe. he got to the fourth round, and there was that German, yeah. that German guy. Oh, what was his name? Began with an A. Oh, listeners, let us know. <laughs> Help us out. Help us out. I'm sure there were two at last year's Roland Garros. So if they're talking about all Grand Slams, then yeah, I mean, that is that is quite re- remarkable. And also Aslan, that's the lion in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, isn't it? Is that... Was was he named after the lion? Well, baby, yeah, he's yeah. Seriously, him and and him and McDonald, uh, Mackenzie McDonald, have have come through very very impressively, and I think it just shows you that this sort of um, you know pandemic has kind of added, I think, a bit more sort of surprise and intrigue into the the Grand Slams, and it's opening up for players in the you know in the qualifiers to go deep in in the main draws. Yeah, nice to see Grigor in the fourth round as well. He's got team next. And uh, this is a match I'm less excited about. Dusan Lajevic versus Alex Zverev. Um, not particularly fussed about that one. No offence to either of those players, but that doesn't really float my boat. Um, let's let's move on. I think we've got a couple of other, other things uh, less AO related, I suppose. Uh, well, actually, no, the first one AO related. I looked through the schedule for tomorrow, Joel. You'll be pleased to know all the wheelchair events are starting and uh, De Groot and Van Coot are oh, facing off yes. against each other, which... I know amuses you greatly. Uh, yes. So I've got that to look forward to. Um, Andy Murray as well is still going strong in the Biela Challenger. He's in the semi-finals today against uh, M. Borg. Oh, this is where my French lets me down. Borg? Borgay? Borg? I don't know. Um, and yeah, he came through. Well, had quite a long tie break yesterday against Blas Roller of Slovenia. Um, so yeah, doing well over there in Italy. 
And we had the, well, we've got the Phillip Island trophy, which is a WTA 250 event that is obviously, obviously still in the state of Victoria for a lot of the players that have, you know, already lost at the AO. Katie Balter was in action. She was drawn against Kazakina for the second tournament in a row, uh, lost again. And, uh, yeah, Fran Jones, though, she did well to, um, beat again, Monica Nicolescu to reach the main draw of that one. So Brits in action in Phillip Island as well. And Kim, let's look forward to the play on Sunday. Uh, quick, quick look at the order of play. We've got four uh, matches uh, in the men's fourth round. We've got four matches in the men, sorry, in the women's fourth round. So I'm just going to quickly list them off. We've got Ozier Aliasim, Karatsev, Team Dimitrov, Lavovich Zverev, Djokovic Raonic. And then for the women, we've got Muguruza Asaka, Suwe Shea versus Vondrusova. Sabalenka, Serena Williams, and then Sviontek, Simona Halep. Where are you? Where are you looking at? Uh, where Where are you going to be? If you If you could be at, at the Australian Open as a fan, as the only fan there, where Where would you Where would you be going? Well, as the only fan, gosh, how lucky <laughs> that would be! I get my invisibility my invisibility cloak on, so they can't see me. Uh, oh, I guess well, it's got to be Rod Laver for the for the women. I think Muguruza, Saka, followed by Sabalenka, Serena. That is fantastic. And then uh, a bit of Grigor is always quite uh, pleasant to watch. Uh, and then I think I would then have to stay on later for Svante Halep. It's, it's sorry, but it's all about the women tomorrow, I think. I think I think you're right. I think the the matches on particularly in that bottom half are just ab- some absolutely fantastic uh fantastic matchups. I I think I'm going I think I've got to be with you. I'm 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 looking at that Svantec Halep rematch and I'm quite happy that is I think going to be one to wake up to so uh, I'm curious to see how that plays out Dominic team Grigor Dimitrov as well Dominic team coming through that five set five set tussle with Nick Kyrgios be interesting to see how he goes against Dimitrov who's kind of you know he's going through the draw uh, not really many people kind of talking about him. So, you know, who knows? He 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 has uh, previous form at the Australian Open. So, again, for me, that is quite a, an intriguing matchup. Uh, Joel, before we finish today, can I just say you are so jammy because you're currently winning <laughs> our collector set. Yes. <laughs> you are the only person to be on three correct answers how i think i've surprised myself here that's so annoying (laughs) we we are terrible we're terrible at our predictions this should not be happening um but yeah somehow i was able to uh get it right on i think sinner demenor and yabor so uh Mm. yeah i'm in the i'm in the i'm in the driving seat to win my own passing shot mug yay i was too negative about demenor uh, I put him to lose in the second round and I was also too negative about Sviontek. <laughs> um, but come on, listeners, we've got to beat Joel. So <laughs> anyone but Joel to win, please. I could not have you winning our own collect set. That is not <laughs> going to happen. So come on, guys. Let's do this. I'll put up uh, I'll put up an update on Twitter uh, so everyone can have a look to see how they're faring against fellow participants. But I think Joel will be back on, let's see, what day is it? Monday for a roundup of the fourth round. So... Yeah, do join us then. 
yes, we will be back on Monday for a round four catch up with the passing shot. So make sure you subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with the passing shot on the Australian Open. And if you have been enjoying our coverage so far of Melbourne, make sure to leave us a rating and comment if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media if you don't already. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. Uh, so do do give us a like, do give us a follow, tell all your friends as well that are into tennis so they can give us a follow as well. And you can also send us an email, passingshotpod at gmail.com. Do get in touch. We'd love to hear all your thoughts about what's going on in the world of tennis. And we will be back on Monday evening for a round four catch up. So I hope you can join us then. I think in the meantime, as it's the weekend, I think we can stay up a little bit later and watch a little bit more tennis before we go to bed. So that's what my plan is going to be. And uh, yeah, I hope you can join us on Monday for our next catch up. See you again soon.